Well, it's nice to be in a church where one of the first things they have to do is get some more chairs out and put in the back. I think that's uh, a good sign for anybody. As uh, Keith just introduced me, I'm Peter. I think he's a very brave man. He's never heard me preach as far as I know, so... <laughs> he's a brave man or a foolish man, again, uh, you know... Yeah, a bit of both, yeah. I'd like to share with you a little bit um, about myself first. Um... I came to the Lord 30-odd years ago um, through a church I'd never been in before. I wasn't a regular churchgoer, brought up um, believing in God but not knowing how, did well at um, religious education in the school, um, but didn't understand the Bible at all. And this story is relevant to what's uh, part of what I want to say today. One of the uh, things that happened to me, I was in a ch- this church, never been to before. Somebody spoke, and I couldn't tell you to this day what they said. And I went back home and just prayed. The next day, I picked up my old King James Bible, which happened to be lying around. I think it was something I was given when I left the Church of England school, when I was a junior school, and started to read. And I was having a bit of a difficulty with it, so I spoke to somebody who I knew to be a Christian. They said, well, go to a Christian bookshop and get an NIV Bible. I'd never heard of a Christian bookshop. So they told us where it was. It was in Oxford. And we went there, got an NIV Bible. Now my wife uh, tells this story better than I do, I think, really. She lost me. I got into the Bible and I couldn't stop reading it. I worked on the farm at the time, used to come home for lunch. And I'd have a Bible in the toolbox on my tractor. If I could find some time to read it, I would read it. I would come home at lunchtime and I would eat while I was reading the Bible. I would be there all night reading it. The next morning I would get up and read it. I was so hungry for the Word, it was unbelievable. And the fact was I could understand it. Once I understand all of it, I still don't. I don't think anybody ever does. It's a continuous learning process. But it was my first proof of Scripture coming true. Because Scripture says that God, Jesus will open our minds to the Scripture. And that's what happened. I turned to God and admitted that I was a sinner and I needed Him. And He said, right. And He took me on this journey. I read the Bible from cover to cover. Phil mentioned a few weeks ago how long it took to uh, read Mark. And you said you were a slow reader. You're not a slow reader. (laughs) I probably take about three times as long as it took you to read Mark. I am a slow reader. So I read it from cover to cover. I did everything you shouldn't do. They tell you, don't start in the Old Testament, start in the New Testament. I started, I started at the beginning. So that's where I started. By the time I got part of the way through, I was listening to one or two other people, other Christians that we met, and I was going to a Bible study as well, and I was picking little bits out of the New Testament. I got to the end of it all, and what did I do? I went back to the beginning and started again. And I wish I could say I was still doing the same. I went to a Bible study, and the uh, first time I was there was with this uh, teenage girl, and the people leading this Bible study were Americans, and uh, Mike, who was actually leading it with his wife, said, the first thing we'll do is learn where the books of the Bible are. I turned around and said, I don't care where the books of the Bible are, I want to know what it means and what it says. So I praise God for him, he didn't try to teach us where the books of the Bible were. We got into the Word. So that's where I come from. This is life. 
I haven't proved it. God's proved it. He's proved it in my life, in my wife's life, in my children's life, and with people we meet. One of them here. I know Mark quite well. That Bible is uh, marvelous condition, isn't it? The truth is I don't use it much. Like a lot of people today, I use technology. Computers are brilliant. It's easy to search for things and what have you. So most of the time, I'm reading off of an electronic gadget. I spoke to Rachel. Well, she's still there. She said, I haven't got a Bible, she says. She said, I've got it on my phone. I thought, great. <laughs> Proving my point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where we get the word from, but we've got to get the word and we've got to understand it. We've got to put it into action as well. One of the things I was reading uh, some months ago, because I'm one of these people who like to delve into people who criticize the word. And one of the things they like to pick up on is contradictions in the Bible. It's rubbish. There's no contradictions in the Bible. It's our misunderstanding. It's when we take one scripture from one place and another one from somewhere else, and we say they contradict each other, but we need to put them together. We need to read them together. We need to read the book as a whole. Everything has to be taken in context. Again, one of the first things that somebody said to me, the Bible actually says there is no God. It actually says fools say there is no God. We're in Mark. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. And I've asked a few people to read some scriptures to us at the moment. Is Rachel coming? Rachel's first, please. Sorry. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Then Jesus left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there who had a withered hand, and they asked Jesus, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they could accuse him? He said to them, Would not any one of you, if he had one sheep that fell in the pit on the Sabbath, take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and was restored. And it was restored, as healthy as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him as to how they could assassinate him. On another Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now a man was there whose right hand was withered. The experts in the law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had a withered hand, get up and stand here. So he rose and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with mindless rage and began debating with one another what they would do to Jesus. Thank you very much. Did you all recognize that's the same story? But it's said completely differently. If you can imagine that uh, when Jesus was speaking, I don't think anybody was actually sitting there taking notes. I think most of the, the people present actually wouldn't have realized the significance of what he was saying and what was going on until a long time afterwards. When you go and listen to something, like listening to me speak today, if you go away and you start talking to people about it, you'll find that people will say different things. People pick up on different bits that somebody says. Again, we, me and Catherine were new Christians. We used to go with three other people to a church in the morning to basically get fed because we were actually helping with running another church in the evening. And we listened to this brilliant sermon, came out. There was five of us there and we heard three different sermons. If you heard what we had picked up on, you would think we hadn't been to the same place at all. But that's how God was speaking to us, and it was the things that we needed to hear that we were grabbing hold of. What we've just heard now, if you were in a court of law, as a witness, that would sound as though people had seen the same event, but they just picked up on things slightly differently. Questions would have been asked, why did you hear that differently to that person, what have you, but none of us ever remember anything exactly the same way. If we actually came together and we all said everything word for word, you wouldn't believe it. You would say, that's fixed. You would say that about the Gospels. You would say that somebody's just copied what somebody else has said and put it into place. So in my mind, this just proves that this is right. But the problem is, there are individual pieces in there. So what do you pick up on? Well, that could be the mistake. What we need to do is to take the whole What's behind it? Can you skip a scripture and go to the next one, please? Next one. That's it. 2 Timothy 2, 1, 4. Remind people of these things and solemnly charge them before the Lord not to wrangle over words. This is of no benefit. It just brings ruin on those who listen. 
we need to look for the spirit of the word. Not exactly each word individually, but the whole thing together. Not to look just at the letter of the word, but the spirit. Jesus' critics in the scriptures that we've read, they're looking at the individual word. They're looking at the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. And this is what's causing some of the problems. And this is why Jesus is annoying them. Jesus is trying to show people exactly what God is saying to them. What he means by his, if you like, rules and regulations. But the Pharisees and other leaders in these churches don't want to know this. They're also looking not to correct, but they're looking to condemn. I'm sure Keith will say he'd rather you come forward if you've got a, something you disagree with him and speak to him about it, to correct him if he is wrong, rather than condemn him and walk out of the church and say that man's wrong, I want nothing to do with him. He said as much last week. <laughs> and I'm the same. None of us is perfect. None of us are going to get everything right. This meeting took place in the synagogue. What is a synagogue? A synagogue is very similar to this. If you think of a traditional church, pews, um, if you like uh, ornamental things virtually, and things stuck at the front of the church, people who are actually leading the service, it's all the same. A synagogue was used and still is used for the same things we use the church for. Births, marriages, death, for teaching, for discussing, used as a general meeting place. So if you think everything that goes on in a church, the same thing's going on in a synagogue. A synagogue, again, is similar to a church the biblical meaning of church is a group of Christians meeting together. But we also use it for a building, the same with a synagogue. The word synagogue actually means a group of people meeting, as well as a building to meet in. You could start a synagogue if you've got ten men over the age of 13. No, I didn't know that before either. <laughs> I do what would ha- wonder what would happen if you uh, had all 13-year-olds there, <laughs> but I'm not quite certain whether that would be allowed. But it's not a history lesson I want to give, it's just the background, so we know where this is coming from. And Jesus was actually speaking in this, he was teaching. That's where he was. So why, if you're in this situation, a place whereby you're listening to somebody teach, and also you can discuss it, why were the Pharisees just standing there trying to criticize? If they believed Jesus was wrong, why didn't they speak to him? Why didn't they bring it out in the open? So the question is that I want to put forward, did Jesus actually break the Sabbath? I'm not going to give you all the scriptures because there's uh, quite a few of them. But I'll tell you what you can't do 
on the Sabbath, according to the Bible. You can't cook. You can't kindle a fire. You can't gather wood. One man was killed for doing that. Carry any loads. Not Pacific, just says carry any loads. You must refrain from normal activities, selfish pursuits, and business deals. Um, I've got a problem now. doesn't mention healing. Not a word mentioned about it. And there's another scripture here. That the Pharisees seem to have left out for their own reasons. The Pharisees added to this list that I've just read out to you. They would say probably that uh, it was to make people understand things better so they knew what they were doing. But in Deuteronomy 4, verses 2 and 3, it says this, Do not add a thing to what I command you, nor subtract from it, so that you may keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I am delivering to you. The Pharisees and the, the leaders of that time had decided to add a few things. Since healing might entail work, the Pharisees' law permitted it on the Sabbath only if necessary to save life or prevent death. Thus a plaster might be applied to a wound if the object was to prevent it from getting worse, but not to heal it. Yet contrarily, a splinter might be removed from the eye or from the body. Even though a splinter is not going to kill you. might be a bit nasty in the eye, I think. That's a bit debatable. Certainly wouldn't be an immediate danger. Furthermore, an animal might be removed from a pit. We've read that in one of the scriptures. It's talking about it. Or taken to water on the Sabbath. You shouldn't look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you might find a grey hair and be tempted to pluck it out. And that could be classed as reaping. Now I find that very hard. I think reaping, I think reaping's to gather something that you're going to eat. And, you know, I think we've all eaten hairs by mistake, but I don't think, I don't want it as part of my diet anyway. It was unlawful to move furniture on the Sabbath. But you can move a ladder four paces. I want to know why. <laughs> Is it in case somebody's left a ladder in front of your door or something, you know, to move it out of the way? So you can, I don't know. It was unlawful to wear any jewellery. Why? Because you might be carrying it. It might be a load. It might be a burden. It was not permitted to wear false teeth. 
doesn't say why. I presume it's because you're carrying it again. It's not part of your body, so you're carrying it. <laughs> you were allowed to eat radishes on the Sabbath, but you were warned against dipping them in salt. This reason was because if you put radishes in salt and hold it in there too long, it may be classed as pickling. So that was work. And apparently the Pharisees had a big discussion about this. To how long a radish took to pickle. It was fine to spit on a rock on the Sabbath. But you mustn't spit on the ground. Because if you do that, that's making mud. And mud was used for mortar. So it becomes work. And there's a mass of them. Some of them more silly than this. One of them I read was, I shouldn't say silly actually, because some people really believe in this, even though it seems silly to us. In their own minds, this is right and this is how they get closer to God. But there's one where they say that you're not allowed to carry anything. And if you're walking down the road and you find you've got something in your pocket, you can tip it out. But you mustn't grab hold of it. You've got to turn your pocket inside out. You mustn't touch it. So you do this and it falls on the floor. If it's valuable, you can get a Gentile to look after it for you. It just so happens there was one passing. If not, you can pick up the item, but you must carry it in a silly way or an unusual way. One of the things they would do was strap it to the leg and they could carry on their journey. Was this God's intention when he said about resting on the Sabbath? I don't think so. I don't think any of this is work at all. In all three accounts that we've heard about the same event of Jesus, not one of them mentions that Jesus did anything to this man with a shriveled hand. He calls him up, this man is standing there, and eventually Jesus decides that he's going to do what he wants to do, and the man holds out his hand and it's healed. It doesn't say that Jesus touched him, it doesn't say he even prayed for him or anything whatsoever. There was a miracle happened. Nothing else could be said about this event, except it was a miracle. He wasn't given any painkillers or any kind of antibiotics. He wasn't uh, operated on. If we saw it happen today, we would be astonished and say that was a miracle. Who does miracles? It's God's work. It's not man's work. If Jesus had touched him or done anything else, it still would have been a miracle. So this is not man's work. So why are they saying or implying that Jesus is working on the Sabbath? Now if we're going to turn around and say that you're not allowed to do God's work on the Sabbath, what were they doing in that synagogue? Actual fact, on the Sabbath day, priests give offerings to God. Right, they're Levites. That's different. Okay? 
it was permissible for Jesus to be teaching in the church. So why is that not work? It must be different because it's God's work. If he was teaching in a school, they would have said he was working. But because he's teaching in the synagogue, they accept that was God's work. So what's the difference? This man was healed in the synagogue. It's not man's work, it's God's work. And the Pharisees were taking part, so if Jesus was guilty, so are they. When we come to church here on a Sunday, we may not think of it as work, but work is done. Chairs are moved around, equipment set up, all sorts of things. It's no different in the synagogue. Things had to be done. If nothing else, somebody had to open and shut the doors. So I say he wasn't sinning at all. I say the Pharisees didn't want to hear what he had to say. They wanted any excuse to plot and kill Jesus. For no other reason is that Jesus was showing them up. He was showing them what people what they were truly like and the fact that what they were teaching was wrong. And they were actually making God's words something different to what God intended to be. Go to the... One John three five. I could have used quite a few different verses for this, and you know that Jesus was revealed to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. You see, that's another problem. If you believe that Jesus was sinning, He couldn't have saved us. Jesus had to be the perfect sacrifice, which He was. He could not sin. That could not be the case. We would have no salvation, and this would be a complete waste of time, and I might as well throw it away and go home. And so might you. Because it would mean absolutely nothing. Another question. Why did the Pharisees get so annoyed? They could not prove that he'd broken the Sabbath. They kept trying to do it. If they'd proved it, they would have arrested him. They would have brought him forward towards their judges, and he would have been judged, and they would have dished out whatever they felt was right at the time. The whole thing to do with this event shows the Pharisees to be hypocrites. They know themselves because they know the Bible so well. The Old Testament is what they were working from. They know that this is not what was being said. They even made exceptions for it themselves. There was a period of a war going on. And it was decided to change the laws about the Sabbath because at that time you weren't allowed to fight. So consequently... There was a group of people, if you like, who'd realized that these people don't fight on the Sabbath. So what did they do? The same as we would do. They would attack them on the Sabbath. Just slaughter them. 
So it was decided that it was all right to defend yourself on the Sabbath day. They made an exception. And you can go through scripture actually and you can find other exceptions. There's cases where people were warned to keep the Sabbath. They weren't killed straight away. They were warned to change their ways. But the Pharisees aren't even doing that here. They are just looking for an excuse to destroy Jesus. They don't like the fact that this man is preaching truth. And this truth, although it saves people, was going to destroy them. Because it meant that everything they were saying was wrong. And also it meant that they would not be living the lives they had been. They were ruling people in no uncertain terms. Everything was done their way. And I imagine most of them were very, very wealthy people. The Pharisees were trying to manipulate God's word to be what they wanted it to be, not what it was meant to be. Now, this is in the past, but is it? Does the same thing happen today? I'm sorry to say yes. Do we try to make Christianity what we want it to be rather than what it is? I'm not going to say what it should be because true Christianity is as positive as every word in there. There's only one thing I'm interested in, is the truth. I don't like some of it, because some of it means I have to change. But if I don't take it on board as being the truth and change, I'm wasting my time. I believe in an all-powerful God that can do anything, because if I don't, I'm wasting my time again. If God is not God, and not truly God, that he can do anything, and he can totally rule my life, what am I doing? If he hasn't got that power, he hasn't got the power to save me. It took me a while to get there. My journey started with I wanted to know God. And as I went along, I discovered God more and more. And yes, some things were hard. And some things I didn't understand straight away. But I had no choice. If I believe in this God, I believe in what he's telling me. And he must be right. And I found every step of the way that when I submitted to God and submitted to what he wants, not what I want, what he wants, things start happening. Mine and Cass' testimony has got, like most older Christians, has got longer and longer over the years. Yes, we haven't had any great miracles of healing in our lives, but we've had all sorts of outstanding things happen, things that you just say, that's not right. And every time they happen... It just makes me think they are right. That's God at work. We've been in situations where we've worked in churches where we weren't supposed to work. We found we were doing things and they would tell us, you can't do this unless you're a member of the church. Oh dear, we're not members. But they asked us to do it. We've led a church where originally you were supposed to be ordained to lead it. I've never been ordained. A couple of years ago they asked me whether I would be. To continue my work, but would I be ordained? I thought about it, and they said it would help man. I thought, no, I'm not interested. I want God's ordination, not man's. That's what matters to me. I want him to be speaking through me, however badly that might be. I'm not eloquent, I'm not well-educated, but I do believe in this word. I believe in it very strongly. Mark knows that. 
complained the other week, kept preaching at him. Sorry, Mark. (laughs) But when you discover the truth of God's word, how can you not preach about it? I'm not an evangelist. That's an evangelist there. Here, go and speak to to the lost. Here, speak to people and I can't do it. But I can share with people my belief and the way I feel about God and how he's took us along, how he's taught us. I'm not like these Pharisees. I don't want the word to say what I want it to say. I want to know what it truly says. Again, we were in a Bible study house group thing years ago and the leader of our church put a question to us and we had till the end of the meeting to answer it. The question was, what's your favourite scripture? I hate those questions. Because I sit there and I think, I don't know. And I sat there for some time, we went on for about an hour, and I thought, I haven't got a favourite scripture. But I've got a scripture that starts everything off and I can't get away from. And it comes up again and again and again and again and again. And it's, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I'm saying it in the old English, that's how I first learned it. Seek God's kingdom first. Then these things will be added to you. We've got to look to see what God wants of us. And I can guarantee every one of you, if you submit to God, you will find things that you just wouldn't believe. This will make more sense to you than you've ever known possible. You will find things will happen in your lives that you cannot explain. You will find yourself doing things you never thought you could do. I'm doing it now. I still remember the first time I stood up in the front and spoke. I found myself listening more to what I was saying than anybody else because I couldn't believe what I was saying. I also thought, now I've got to put it into action. might be good standing up here, but I can't say anything unless I'm willing to do it. We mustn't keep making Christianity what we want it to be rather than what God wants it to be. And we need to remember something too when we can look at and criticise all the people of the Old Testament. But we need to remember something. We've got something they didn't have. We've got the Holy Spirit. We're promised that when we turn to Christ, he will open our our eyes. He will renew our mind. And he will leave us with this Holy Spirit that will teach us, guide us, empower us. They didn't have that. The disciples couldn't truly understand what Jesus had been talking about until Jesus prayed for them, for their eyes to be opened to the Scriptures. The Pharisees didn't have that. So I've got some sympathy for them. They were trying to do it in a worldly way, if you like. 2 Corinthians 3.1.4 14, sorry, to 17. But their minds were closed. But to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. None of that Old Testament, none of those regulations have been removed. Only Christ can do that. But until this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That's what happened to me when I prayed that night. 
I know it was. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. What's the name of this church? And what do we want present? We must not only read and listen to God's Word, but we must try to understand it with the help of the Spirit. And then we need to put it into action and teach it to others. His will be done, not ours. We just pray. Father God, I just thank you for your provision, Lord. I thank you for the word that you give us and the fact, Lord, you give us your Holy Spirit, Lord, to help us and guide us. Father God, help us to use the spirit that you give us. Help us to understand your word and put it into action. Help us to bring other people to understand you as we do, Lord. And Father God, I just want to pray for this church, Lord. I want you to bless this church, and I particularly, Lord, ask you to bless the people who are leading it, Lord. Encourage them and give them wisdom. Help them, Lord, to know your will in all things that they do. In Jesus' name, amen.